Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Nucleus Investment Insights. Today, it seems markets are no longer that expensive. However, we're going to explore the question of whether this is the time to buy in the context of current and future earnings. First on the agenda, we'll do a valuation overview. Next, we'll look at global fiscal and monetary policy. Then we'll do a quick tour of major economies of the world. Uh, so firstly, we'll look at the European economy, looking at the war and energy, followed by China, analyzing their property bust and COVID. And of course, we'll look at the US economy and the actions of the Fed. Lastly, as always, we'll cover the investment implications for markets at the end. My name's Sam Kerr. I'm the Senior Financial Advisor at Nucleus Wealth. Today, as always, I want to welcome the Founder and Chief Investment Officer at Nucleus Wealth, Damien Klassen. Hey, hey, gang. Good, thanks. Uh, good, thanks, Samo. Uh, today, as all, uh, also, we have an equally integral part of the team, our Chief Strategist, David Llewellyn-Smith. G'day, Sam. Nice to be here. G'day, Dave. Excellent. Good to hear. Uh, so thanks for that, gentlemen. Uh, just a quick quick reminder before we get started. If you enjoy our content, please subscribe to our YouTube channel and click the bell below to be notified when we go live or have a new episode recorded. Alternatively, you can follow us on your preferred podcast platform. Our show is available on all the majors. And for those of you listening live, feel free to drop your questions in the YouTube live stream chat and we'll do our best to answer them during the show. Uh, one other thing I just want to let you know about is you can download today's slides from our website at nucleuswealth.com forward slash webinars. We generally put them up this afternoon, so feel free to download them at your leisure if you want to have a closer look at the slides. Uh, so now we've got that housekeeping out of the way, we'll get started. So Damien, I'll hand it over to you to lead us away. Yeah, sure. So what I thought I'd do is sort of, as I said, just go quickly through the, some of the valuation side of it, and then... Um, uh, then we'll jump into some of the the uh, jump into the the macro stuff behind that, to, which I think is where the most important side of the debate is. But you know, I just wanted to sort of throw this first of all, throw a chart up of the uh, the S and P five hundred and the ASX one hundred. So just looking at the price to earnings ratios of those. So uh, you can sort of see that we spent most of the uh, the last decade in that sort of sixteen to eighteen. Um, times range for the US and a little bit lower than that for, for Australia. Um, and then COVID hits and um, and we get all this money thrown at everyone and 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 some quite strong earnings growth as well. And so PEs sort of jump into the into the twenties for the S P and um, with just this last little bit you can sort of see that that's come now now come back and it's sort of back below that 18 level um, back into sort of more you know the, the upper end of the range so that that it traded that for um, uh, the past 10 years, but certainly, you know, out of that, that ultra expensive range that we've sort of seen it sitting in for the, for the, uh, for the last few years. So, you know, it's worth, uh, worth sort of digging a little bit deeper into that though, because, um, I've got another chart sort of that just takes the two parts, just looks at, um, the price for the, the SP 500 and then separates out the earnings. Uh, cause the reason why is that, you know, what we're, we're more interested in price rises that are backed up by earnings. So if we can see the earnings coming through as well, then um, uh, that actually, that's actually what helps to, to to justify the price of the market. And if you look back at, um, I've got another one sort of 
uh, sort of titled uh, exuberance or prescience for, uh, for for price to earnings ratios. And what you can see on this one is that you know there were some pretty high um, price to earnings ratios in the early two thousands, um, but that actually just was a uh, that occurred, and then we saw this this really high growth rates, and so the valuations came down not because um, prices came down, but because the earnings um, boomed away underneath, and so you you, you sort of captured that um, the markets became cheaper because because the earnings fundamentals were improving, and then a similar thing um, post two thousand and eight, um, and then uh, another one in in sort of two thousand seventeen when we saw the, uh, the the Trump tax cuts come through. Uh, and then finally, this last batch. And so, you know, I guess the, the one thing I always like to sort of highlight is that, um, you know, valuation is important. And uh, I've got a couple of charts on, on this next one sort of showing that uh, your prices, it, it does matter, evaluation, it does affect your price. There's, there's a bit of a negative correlation if you buy too, too uh, when you buy something that's too expensive. But on the flip side, um, there's actually this really positive skew when you look at, at subsequent earnings growth. And so it's about trying to say, well, how much earnings growth is priced in? Is that a reasonable amount of earnings growth or not? And then from there, um, you know, working out what the what the price to earnings ratio should be. So, so I guess where I'm getting to on, on that is that um, sort of sort of summed up by this final chart, which is looking at analyst revisions, is that we've sort of set with this huge tailwind for the last uh, three or four years, where uh, analyst earnings just get continually upgraded and upgraded and upgraded. That's come to an end. And um, the question, the real question for markets now is, will that become a headwind due to the, the macroeconomics or is it, is it going to reverse and, or, or stay where it is and, and, and um, continue to be, a, uh, I guess, a positive for markets? And so, um, yeah, so depending upon what your view is on that um, will affect uh, you know, whether you want to be buying at the moment. Uh, and so with that, oh, actually, sorry, one, one other thing I wanted to jump in um, before we get to uh, the, 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 the macro side. Um, is just a, a little bit of disaggregation. So, with earnings, there's sort of there, there's a number of things going on. Um, one of the things is you know you, you're looking at this growth rate from your first year to your second year. So, so as we go forward over the next year, there's there's a growth rate that's already priced in, and then there's going to be revisions in that growth rate. So, um, so the so the so let's say right now we're looking at the 2022 to 2023 year. So there's going to be a growth that's already factored in, which is about 10. percent um, that's going to be revised upwards or downwards. Um, and then we've also got a surprise in terms of what happens to the 2022 year numbers. Do they come in uh, stronger than expected or weaker than expected? And then if you, you add in the change in the valuation multiple, and that sort of gives you, you know, the net effect of all four of those sort of adds up to the, uh, the change in the price. And, and so I've got a couple of charts just sort of decomposing that. And um, so you can sort of see each year where that comes from. So which... Uh, so, if you're looking at say the, um, uh, the the 2021 year, I've got in there, we can see that uh, the prices, and this is a year to the 30th of April, prices were up 44%. Uh, earnings actually came in worse than expected, so they, they were like 13% lower. But growth rates, um, you know, they're expected to grow by 25%, and uh, there were um, Revisions, another twenty percent of twenty-one percent of revisions, and then the multiple itself expanded. So the, pre, the price to earnings ratio multiple, and so it was sort of like everything all worked together got you to that forty-four percent. Um, over the last year, uh, prices have basically haven't moved in that in that year. They're they're down one percent, and 
uh, almost all of that's come from the the falling multiples though. So uh, there's been a bit, a little bit of earnings surprise. We've had growth, and there have been some revisions, but um, that that fall in the multiple is what's really done it over that time frame. And so um, you know, when when these when you when you see these sort of then looked at it in a different direction. You can. Um, I've got another chart which sort of breaks them, and rather than looking at it by year, it sort of breaks them into the each component over the last five years. You can see that um, most of it, you know, is this forecast growth that's sort of already forecast in, and then earnings surprise tends to come in under what analysts are expecting. That wasn't the case for the last year, and so um, uh, you know that's what's really going to drive this this going forward is is that that whole earnings part, um, especially given the PE has sort of come back in and, and is sitting at relatively high levels. Uh, does that all make sense, Sam? Have we have I gone through that too quickly? Maybe we jump to uh, the jump into the some of the the macro side, Dave. Yeah. Over to you. <clears throat> sure. So, uh, taking out of uh, Damo's little presentation, we basically need to to uh, assess where earnings are going uh, if we. We're going to decide whether things are priced appropriately now and a good time to buy or cheap or expensive. Uh, so the first stuff I want to just throw up is we're all, all going to be very aware that uh, there's been both fiscal and monetary tightening globally for the last, well, it's been running in, in uh, emerging markets for about 18 months and even two years. And uh, in the last kind of six or so uh, in in developed markets, uh, and so I put a through a chart up here for uh, you know what it's basically um, a nice aggregated index um, called the Financial Conditions Index from Goldman Sachs, which just looks at you know a million different multiple a uh, million different variables in the fiscal and monetary uh, uh, sort of uh, context, uh, and comes up with a you know a, uh, an index that gives you some sense of whether the you know the the aggregate outcome is tight loose or in between and as you can see globally if you remove Russia because Russia really inflates things these charts quite a bit because it's been hit so hard by the war but if you exclude Russia you can see that the globe is already in a relative relatively tight uh, monetary condition which will all things equal, slow it down before too long. And, and I think, Dave, it's, it's right to say that the the change is is pretty important in this one as well, isn't it? Yes. That the um, yeah, that sudden spike in it um, is is large is as much the issue as as is where it actually ends up. Absolutely. So, you know, it's a, it's it's happened very swiftly, and that's going to indicate various things. I mean, we've seen you know a hell of a sell off in treasuries. Uh, now big sell-offs in stocks, uh, and so and you know spread widening in, uh, across the the uh, private sector as well, and you know some pretty wild exchange rate moves, especially uh, in the U.S. dollar, also with big tightening implications. So, yes, the speed of that uh, has you know is going to have very quick, swift, much swifter uh, implications for global growth than than most people could be care to admit. Uh, at the moment, you know, the consensus is that if the Fed tightens for another, you know, I guess maybe three, three and a half percent, some point, 
next year, then we might have a recession going into 2024. And what this chart is telling you is, is that uh, we're more likely to have a recession in the second half of this year than 2024. So because it's all moving so swiftly. So if we, if we flip over to have a look at uh, some of Goldman's uh, now casting indexes for growth, you can see that 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 this tightening is already having a pretty pretty good big effect. Um, if I just flip over flip over to the first the second chart first, you can see that emerging markets, which are, as I said have been tightening for a bit longer, uh, are really diving like as a uh, as a group in terms of growth driving. You know, this is very recessionary for their in terms of their potential growth already, uh, and developed markets have come up off a lot this year too, and are you know sliding uh, at the same time. So at, the, at this point, you know, the, the Goldman now casting model is already kind of indicating pretty close to a global recession, which is anything under about two percent, uh, but it's trending down pretty sharply as well. Uh, if you if you want to flip back one chart, you can see. That what's driven that today uh, has been China mostly, uh, but Europe has also been hit very hard by the war uh, and the energy shock. Uh, Russia, of course, has dived too, but also you know the U.S. has started to slow pretty dramatically as well. So all of that tightening that we're seeing in the first chart uh, is playing out in slowing in real, real economic activity. Uh, in real time right in front of us. Uh, and so we've been pointing to this now for probably, I don't know, a while, three to six months. Um, not all of these factors, but certainly the last three months. Uh, and, you know, we, we parse this as, uh, as six shocks hitting the global economy all at once. Uh, as mentioned, it's clear that Europe has been leading the developed economy slowdown. And the reason for that is the war and energy shock. Uh, you know, huge gas price surges, uh, you know, have hit both utility bills and a lot of industry. Uh, you know, they're, they're unresolved at this stage. Certainly prices have come off the extreme highs, but still going. Uh, consumer confidence is way down. The ZEW is way down. Uh, fiscal will help eventually, but, you know, it's, it's going to be too lagged because that's just the way Europe works. So, uh, in addition to that, the ECB looks ready to start lifting interest rates. Uh, and we don't have it here today, but if you look at that financial condition index specifically for Europe, uh, it's already in, in quite uh, a tight condition and the ECB is about to hike rates as well. So, you know, Europe Europe's already in trouble and is about to, uh, to, to uh, limit credit even more. So, you know, things are, aren't looking too good for, for Europe. So that's that's the first two shocks, war and energy. Second two, you know, we've been talking about the property bust in China for well over a year. Uh, it's gotten far worse than anyone with perhaps, perhaps the exception of us has expected. Uh, and it's now kind of interplaying with the Omicron outbreak uh, to make it very difficult for China to turn its economy around. So we know that that uh, uh, the Chinese economy is in one sec uh, is in uh, you know a pretty uh, severe state of lockdown. Maybe a quarter of it uh, has you know some form of of, uh, of either limits to mobility or more severe lockdown state. Uh, 
to try and get rid of Omicron, and that that is interacting with the property bust uh, to to effectively plunge China into recession. It, do, it doesn't really matter what the official numbers are telling you at the moment, uh, because you know they're pretty much full of it. Uh, it China, if you look at, at any kind of private sector real-time indexes is already in recession. So the PMIs and, and other things are, are plunged deeply negative. Uh, and they're doing what they can to lift it, trying particularly hard with uh, fiscal policy. But, um, you know, the nature of this bust in China is very different to those that have come before, uh, both in terms of the virus and in terms of the property bust. Um, you know, trying to, trying to build more stuff, infrastructure, when, you know, it doesn't really matter if if you're trying to build more stuff if you if you're locked down is the first point. Secondly, given the property bust is being exacerbated by the lockdowns, uh, that that has absolutely cratered land sales, which means much lower revenue for local governments, which means the the fiscal attempt to stimulate is inhibited. The transmission of it to the real economy is uh, not what it should be because they don't have the money. Um, from falling land sales, uh, so they. And so this is this pro-cyclicality we've spoken a lot about in, in, yeah. in China, where when when land sales are going well, then local governments have lots of money, and so then they want to get out and spend. Whereas they're in the opposite now; land sales are going really poorly, and yeah. and the government and the central government's telling the local governments get out and spend more money, and they're sort of going, well, we don't have the money in the budget, and they know that you know people have have lost their lost their freedom. You know they, they get sent to jail if you're an official who runs up too much debt and and um uh, and has problems in local areas so you know they've got these two competing um things going on and uh nowhere really to get the money from exactly uh so china is in recession europe's approaching it and that flips us over to the us which of course has had the uh you know the, the greatest of the inflation shocks coming out of the pandemic uh we won't go into why but uh, it's it's a fact that's that's triggered a very hawkish uh, Federal Reserve, uh, which has flipped from seeing the inflation as transitory to broadening and deepening, uh, and he wants to snuff that out as soon as it can. So uh, you know we've got we've had uh, we have do we have twenty five or fifty in the last meet? I can't remember. Um, anyway, there's a series of 50 basis point hikes lined up at the Fed, certainly for the June and July. Uh, and, you know, it wants to normalise rates as quickly as possible, front load the, the hikes uh, so that it can then kind of sit back and, and, you know, review once it's done that to see, you know, just to, to, to try and catch up, basically, because it's got caught so far behind inflation. Um, so that's led to, you know, radical steepening in uh, long-end yields and mortgage rates. So the U.S. housing market is starting to slow very fast. Uh, and, of course, we're seeing, you know, the big falls in the stock markets as well. Uh, and so, you know, this is where we come to, uh, you know, the, 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 the spillovers from what is a slowing US economy, if we're going to see this asset price uh, bust in the US as rates rise, then, and that is what's underway in stocks, probably houses uh, following, although it may not be so much price-based in housing, so 
got you know relatively low inventory uh, but it would be more real economy stuff like building new houses the spillovers will be you know big trade shocks for china and europe which of course we've just been through uh, both of them are you know already in a pretty pretty parlous state in terms of their domestic demands and the last thing they need is their external demand to fall which is what what appears to be unfolding in the us and so uh all of that leads to the question uh you know earnings have been incredibly strong last year uh, and into this year uh, but with all of these shocks going at once and all of this extraordinary tightening happening at once you know will earnings just normalize or will they start to fall because we'll end up in a circumstance in the global economy where you have all of this tightening trying to kill inflation uh, even as the economy falls off a cliff and you get into you know kind of classic recessionary cycle where you have very large inventories for instance in the us that could be destocked uh, trade shocks hitting the other economies and before you know it you know in that kind of environment maybe the fed triggers some kind of credit event as well in either credit markets uh, at home or abroad especially in emerging markets uh, and so suddenly you suddenly find yourself into in a uh, rather pro-cyclical feedback loop that will force uh a, <coughs> that will force down earnings force them negative over the next 12 months uh and so you you're you're forced to ask the question um we've seen the multiple normalize but if earnings are going to fall what would be the appropriate multiple on that it won't be 18 which is what they've fallen back to yeah and typically you'd see that when when, it, when earnings are falling you know you you're back to sort of 13 times earnings that type of those those types of levels so you know still considerably down on, on where we are plus you plus you'd have to factor in the earnings yeah more. the other thing to note as well in terms of the earnings is the last um this sort of last batch of earnings has been very uh focused on uh, the growth has been very focused in the energy sectors and and resources and that's an area where people don't pay high multiples so so keeping in mind as well that um you know if you're looking at your earnings and more and more of your earnings is coming from these sort of low lower quality type of earnings in terms of saying yes you've made a you've made a bucket load because oil prices were 120 dollars, but they're not 120 dollars anymore so therefore i'm not going to pay you know that much more for for those types of earnings if, we, if we're expecting it to fall back um, I, I assume that's why the asx 100 multiple has fallen much further yeah that's right yeah the, the the aussie one looks um looks lower yeah exactly but for that reason it's, it's a mixture of the iron ore um and the uh coal, and the coal plus gas. energy prices yeah yeah and so uh yes so that when you look at it on sort of excluding those factors it doesn't look anywhere near as cheap but um uh yeah so so i guess it's that that issue that you some you get with the the aussie markets actually because it's quite an extreme version you know that the, the the saying is for, for the resources side is you buy them when they're you buy them when they're looking expensive and sell them when they look cheap sort of the reverse of what you'd expect and the, and the reason why is because when when stocks are on when when energy stocks are say on you know five times their earnings um because the earnings are so inflated and everyone's expecting that that um earnings to fall off 
you know, it's, it's not the time to be buying stocks when you when your earnings are going to halve or, or, or quarter. Um, whereas, you know, the time they're buying it is when actually the, uh, you know, they're, they're low, energy prices or, or commodity prices are low, nobody's been doing any investment, you know, demand's starting to pick up. And, and so you might be buying some of these stocks on 20 or 30 times price to earnings because they're not earning any, 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 um, uh, not earning great profits, but then as the sales comes through, that really turbocharges them, and, and you get all that earnings growth coming through as well. So yeah, that's and, and I think there's a little bit of that at the headline level now. You, that's a little bit what you're seeing right throughout um, stocks in terms of that the the earnings quality is not the same. You know, it's much much better to have a a new earnings dollar from a Microsoft or an Apple or someone like that that you can sort of see where there's growth going forward rather than. Um, uh, you know, another earnings dollar from from having one hundred and twenty dollar oil price <laughs> rather than rather than fifty dollar oil. Hey guys, we've got uh, we've got a viewer question come through. Um, so uh, uh, viewers just asking, do you guys have any idea why gold's remaining quite subdued? And I guess that's in the context of uh, you know traditionally gold's sort of a safe haven asset in in times of market uncertainty. Real interest rates. What, what do you mean by that? Well, real interest rates plunged very deeply over the last couple of years uh, during the pandemic. And <clears throat> what, what David means by real interest rates is the interest rates after you take out of effective inflation. Yeah. Uh, and they went, you know, typically gold will follow if, if real interest rates are really negative, gold will go up. Uh, and if real interest rates are positive, then it tends to fall because uh, obviously gold isn't a yielding asset. And so, you know, it gets, it gets kind of pushed out when you get decent real interest rates that are offering yield. So uh, basically in the last couple of years, we've had very deep uh, negative real interest rates which has supported gold, but it never took off the way I expected it to, largely because I think Bitcoin stole a lot of its, or Bitcoin and crypto stole a lot of its fire. Uh, and now real interest rates are rising for the first time in quite a few years. And so gold's falling on that, as, as is crypto now. In fact, crypto is shaping as uh, the possible event that... Uh, uh, shakeout event that triggers deep falls and everything right now. Yeah, it's interesting that one, isn't it? I mean, that's that's this idea that um, yeah, we we spoke over the years about it as crypto gets bigger and bigger. It's it, you know that we've got uh, central banks relying on the wealth effect in terms of saying yes, I'll, I'll keep my rates low in order that I can keep asset prices high and, and the wealth effect from people feel from when their house their housing is more expensive and they're uh, sorry, the housing is worth more, and their their, their share portfolio is worth more. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting to think that 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 wealth effect for crypto is you know is starting to uh, given the volatility of it is starting to 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 hit levels that that actually you know if if in theory you, if if your goal was to keep these asset prices high, you should actually be starting to keep an eye on crypto because it's now starting to make such a a large part of, of people's uh, certainly the millennials. Mm -hmm. uh, the other factor in gold is the US dollar. That's very central to the gold price, and it's it's at twenty year highs, so it's very difficult for gold to rally into that. In fact, it's very difficult for all commodities to rally into that. Though so far they've 
managed it on the back of first a bit of inflation and second you know ukraine uh supply shock but uh the further we get into this unfolding scenario that we've just described the more likely the commodities are to eventually crash as well okay uh great thanks for that and uh there's a couple more questions just coming through uh, so one question is saying that there's uh, rumours that China's going to cut interest rates um, in the next couple of weeks. Is is that going to make any difference um, to, to their economy considering they're in lockdown as well? Um, it, it'll make a difference in that it'll accelerate the falls in the yuan. Uh, that'll certainly be constructive for the Chinese economy, but, but sadly it will be destructive for the global economy in fact a falling yuan is is pretty pretty apocalyptic for global markets uh, simply because china, the chinese uh, export machine is is too large for it to be competitively devaluing and so it what it tends to do is just bleed out the entire emerging market complex and it sends everybody else scurrying back into the us dollar especially if the fed's hiking uh, and, you know, it all, obviously it makes domestic production of commodities cheaper and pretty much the worst thing, you know, for, for the way the global economy currently operates uh, is, is a falling Chinese yuan. So th this is why the Chinese have been so slow to cut rates, despite the fact that they're essentially in recession. They've even got a bit of an unemployment problem. Uh, and in previous cycles, they would most, def most definitely have slashed rates by now. And the reasons why, the, I think the main reason is, in fact, the yuan, because they're aware that uh, there is actually the spectre of a crisis in this for them if they cut too deeply and capital outflow accelerates and they could exhaust their forex reserves relatively quickly uh, and suddenly the yuan you know, free falls and you get a kind of classic emerging markets external shock. Uh, so that's probably the main reason they haven't cut, but they they, they may cut or they'll cut repo or they'll, they'll, you know, try new targeted cuts or reserve ratio. They're going to have to do all of these things more of it. Uh, but no, I don't expect it to, to turn it around for the two reasons. Uh, the, the property bust is driven by macroprudential policy, not so it's it's actually the distribution of credit, not the price of credit. Uh, and that that is called the three red lines policy that is denuding developers of money, of credit rather. And so they can't build the way they used to. And because a lot of them are there for going bust, there's all this counterparty risk for buyers and they don't want to buy. And so you can't fix that by making credit cheaper. You actually have to do some some more clever uh, prudential policy or give up on what you were doing, which was which was trying to force an adjustment on property. Um, so that's the first part of it. The second part I mentioned, which is uh, the falling CNY has slowed them down. Uh, and the third part, of course, is, is Omicron. Um, which just doesn't matter how cheap credit is if everybody's curled up under their dunas at home. So, uh, you know, it may make eventually a, a bit of difference, but, you know, even though, for instance, a lot of the lockdowns have come off in Shanghai, still going, but have eased, um, all the partial lockdowns that are everywhere haven't budged at all. 
because Omicron's just so contagious the moment they kind of normalize mobility and people to people exchanges, it's just going to explode again. So as long as they got zero COVID, they're stuck. So in short, yeah, it's going to be very difficult for them to get any kind of robust recovery going. The other issue uh, is that they've got a bit of a different economy in, in the sense that um, the the household share of, of their economy is basically the lowest in the world. And actually, I think I even saw someone suggesting it was lowest in, in some of, um, you know, developed country over like a huge period of time. But And so what that means is that um, corporates and, and governments take a lot of, you know, there's a there's an economic pie. Corporates and governments take take the biggest slices, and and households aren't left with very much. Yeah. And so when when you start cutting interest rates, what that does, as Dave spoke about, it, is that lowers the yuan, which is actually a negative for consumers and a positive for businesses. And so um, so you're actually going to make it harder for them to to um, to to come across because uh, you know, people who are working now their their wages are. are lower and so that that's good for for exporting things but bad if if they want to buy um you know the latest iphone or whatever it is um, so that's one part and then also that they're actually quite quite they are quite large household savers and so um you're actually decreasing the amount of interest available for them and so um yeah there's a there's a reasonable um yeah i guess if that's if that's the way they and china one of the things they do need to do is is re allocate their economy towards more consumer spending and, and less business and government spending. And and this is going the opposite direction, as a lot of their policies are. Um, yeah. So if they're cutting rates, that's, that's you know, you're helping businesses. And, and a lot of their policies at the moment are about giving tax cuts and things like that to, to businesses rather than helping out um, directly uh, consumers. And that's why they're going to be stuck, um, you know, in this this, uh, this poor economic environment for, for the foreseeable future. Like, I will add that I think they'll bounce out of the current lockdowns and stuff a little. It will improve a bit, but uh, there, there's just a, you know, the current policy settings make it extremely difficult for them to get anywhere near their five point whatever growth target. Mm. I mean, and when I say nowhere near it, I mean half would be a great outcome. Okay, excellent. Thanks, thanks for that, guys. So there's a, there's a uh in-depth answers to those questions. I hope the viewers are satisfied. Um, so, yeah, I think we'll move on to uh, the next slide now. I think we've got the, the Spanish flu analogy. Yeah, so this one we've been pushing for a while as well, which is, uh, you know, this is what, this is the best kind of historical analogy that we think we have, um, which combines the deglobalization and pandemic, inflation shock, uh, and and a central bank response, all of the things that we've currently got going, uh, and gives you a good a good good feeling for what happens when you get a supply side inflation shock addressed with a demand side tool. Uh, you basically get a big accident, and uh, that's kind of what we're seeing play out in the global economy now. Uh, <clears throat> and the upshot of it in 21-22 in the US. Uh, was was a depression actually now there are other factors involved um, demobilization of labor and things like that after the war uh, that increased the deflationary pressures but you know you you've had a, like what are we now a like, couple of years of supply side inflation undoubtedly there'll be lots of supply side response to that uh, that is increasing capacity 
that's been disguised because the the um, the supply side shocks have kept coming. But if you get a demand hiccup, then all those responses to that supply side tension will come through, uh, and you'll go from a, a situation of extreme supply side uh, tension to supply, supreme supply side slack. And that's this, and that chart there is a good example of what happens when you do that. Basically, prices just crater. Uh, and what was inflationary turns dramatically deflationary. So if we get, you know, if this runs on long enough uh, with the Fed tightening pro-cyclically um, because its inflation is worse than everywhere else and its financial conditions index that we've showed you some earlier uh, is actually still very expansionary there. So they, they need to tighten just to get that into, into uh, slowing territory. Uh, then we, we run the risk of doing this globally. Um, and, you know, I, that may not happen. Fed might wake up. Markets might crash enough that, to force the Fed backwards. Um, you know, there's still a soft landing um, case that's reasonably strong. Uh, but this is where we're going at the moment. And the Spanish flu analogy is a pretty good one. So if if the Fed is forced to keep hiking pro-cyclically, cyclically into, into a global bust, then we get, uh, you know, 2023, 24 is pretty deflationary years. Uh, and that would include commodities, I might add. I'd expect them both to crash too. Right, we might wind up, Sam. Okay, um, so we've, in a moment, we've got our viewer question, uh, but I just want to just want to take a moment to showcase our new direct indexing products, as they're the first of the kind in Australia. So direct indexing, it's similar to an ETF as it's a buy and hold passive strategy that tracks an index. But the main difference is it allows you to customize your holdings in that index so you can tailor it to fit your personal ethical values and beliefs. Whereas a traditional ETF, it's a one size fits all that can't change. So with direct indexing, you own all the stocks directly and you can customize the index by uh, utilizing any of our ethical sector and asset class screens. And we have around uh, about 50 of them to choose from. So just to give you an example, uh, you can exclude Australian banks from the, uh, from the Australian leaders, uh, for example, or you can exclude uh, coal stocks or add more technology stocks. Uh, so you really have the ability to customize your portfolio however you see fit. Uh, so if you want to see some more information, uh, please go to our website at nucleuswealth.com forward slash direct indexing, and you can have a look, uh, look at a bit more information there. So uh, now we've got our, our question of the week. Uh, so this is for viewers to have some discussion in the comments section over the coming days. Uh, the question for this week is, is right now a buying opportunity or are we too conservative? Uh, so feel free to post your thoughts and engage with us and some of the other viewers over the coming days. Uh, so, yeah, Damien, I'll, I'll hand it back to you for the investment implications. Yeah, sure. Um, so, yeah, so I think the, uh, what have we got here? The, the main issue is, is in the end comes down to interest rates and and the question um you know, if, you, if you if we think about it there's a sort of a pendulum around sort of the fair value is we think it's swung way too high um there's uh we're talking about another sort of three percent ish in terms of interest rate rises in, in australia uh and elsewhere around the globe uh that's already starting to hit 
asset market is already starting to hit demand. And so effectively what we have here is a, a, um, a Fed who's decided, and, and other central banks as well, sort of following the Fed, have basically decided to, uh, to, to smash demand in order to bring it down to, to, to meet the supply side problems we're having. And, you know, as, as sort of some of the charts showed, um, there's a reasonable chance of, of recession. Um, if, that, if, they, if they don't um, change their, um, they don't change the, the path we're on at the moment. And given how fast things have been moving, um, the, uh, <coughs> we're expecting that to happen sooner rather than later. So in terms of stocks, where um, uh, we've been underweight stocks for some time, and, and that's obviously been the, the right call so far, we don't think it's time yet to, to be jumping in. Um, you know, maybe if you had a, a very long time frame and you, you didn't mind sort of riding out some small downside volatility, um, you might want to start sort of getting, sort of chipping away at, at, at stocks at the moment. Um, we're sort of happier just to, to, to hold on a little bit longer before we start, um, you know, easing into to, to buying a few more stocks. And, um, and we also think at, at the same time, you know, we're holding a, a bit in the bonds portfolio um, and starting to, to build that up a little bit. You know, the, I think our expectation is that the, the bond yields will come off and that'll give us an opportunity to switch out of those bonds uh, into stocks at, at some point in the future. That's the game plan at the moment. But um, yeah, it's sort of obviously evolving quite quickly. Yeah, that, that's a very important point, I think, that a lot of people are underestimating is the sheer speed of this cycle. Like we've been shocked time and again by the speed of it. Things that we thought would take two years took two months. Uh, you know, markets inflated, all crashed down, crash up, and blue bubbles popped, um, all, you know, at a fantastic rate of knots. Uh, and so, you know, kind of looking out to 23, 24, uh, wondering if there's going to be a slowdown, we think is really kind of besides the point. <laughs> It's, it's much, much speedier this cycle than that. And I'll just simply add to that, uh, you know, I think the, the speed of the cycle is because of COVID and the stimulus response. But on top of that, um, you know, we're all, the, the entire developed world is so financialized now that raising rates uh, and, and reducing fiscal expenditure at the speed it's being done uh, just has incredibly swift transmission now through to the real economy much faster than it used to, um, I think. And, you know, because asset prices are, are no longer a representative of productivity or economic gains, uh, they drive the cycle instead via credit issuance. And so uh, a lot of your financial conditions tightening these days happens via asset prices that move quicker and affect demand more quickly. So that's it for me. Nice one, guys. Thank you very much. That almost wraps us up. So Damien and Dave, just want to thank you guys for sharing your insights and knowledge as always. Pleasure. Thank you. Awesome. Um, so we do welcome your feedback on this podcast, especially in regards to suggestions for future topics. If you do have any ideas, please drop it into the comments below or send us an email at contact at nuclearswealth.com. Uh, just a reminder, this is general advice and does not take into account your personal situation. If you do want to discuss your financial situation, please go to our website at nuclearswealth.com and book a call with me or one of the team. 
Uh, don't forget to like the video now. And finally, if you know of anyone that might get some value out of today's episode, would really appreciate it if you can please share it with them. And also, if you'd like to see more of our previous episodes and content, head over to nucleuswealth.com forward slash content. And to stay up to date with news from us, you can follow us on all major social media. So from myself, Damien, Dave, and the rest of the team at Nucleus Wealth, thanks for watching, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Thanks, guys.